came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus led a humble life of service, and he showed you and I how to do it. And while serving in humility is probably about the most attractive trait that a person could have, we're not very good at it, are we? And I'm pointing the finger right at myself. For instance, after a long conversation with a friend, telling that friend everything that's going on in my life, oftentimes I'll say, I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a while? I once won an award at the office for humble service to clients. I told everybody at the office about it, and you know what happened. I had to give the award back, right? You may not know this about me, but I only have four flaws. Four flaws. Okay, number one, I lack humility. B, I'm inconsistent. And finally, I can't count. So seriously, I desperately want to serve with the humility of Jesus. But unfortunately, I just let myself get in the way time and time again. But I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a while? <laughs> C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking of yourself less. Humility of, is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. <laughs> there you go. So today's message is entitled, A Humble Life of Service. We're going to study John 13, 1 through 20. And this is our fourth message from our sermon series, The Servant King. Phil taught us to be generous with our worship. Bondo taught us that Jesus is a different kind of king. He's one that we can go on mission with. And last week, Phil taught us how to define true belief and how to praise Jesus rather than following worldly pursuits. And today, we will see Jesus wash the feet of his disciples. In this passage, Jesus patterns humility for us. He desires purity for us and inheritance for us. He shows us how to serve others as he serves others, and he sends us on mission with him. So whether you are here on our West Campus Live or whether you're worshiping with us online through our Facebook West live stream, grab your Bibles, grab your Bible apps, follow along with me if you could, please. We're going to go John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, or had put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. The Father had put all things under his authority, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Some translations say he, he girded himself. After that, Jesus poured water into a basin and begun to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We see Jesus serves humbly by washing the feet of his disciples. Now, can you imagine the scene? It's Passover week in Jerusalem. It is the night before Jesus was crucified. This is likely a Thursday night as Jesus was crucified on Friday. Jesus knew he was going to die the very next day. What would you do if you knew you were going to die the very next day? 
probably get your will in order, get your estate plan in order. Maybe you would give your baseball card collection away. Well, Jesus has dinner with his friends, even the one who would betray him. And once more, he washes the feet of his friends, even the one who would betray him. This foot washing event is only recorded in John's gospel. The other gospel writers describe the Last Supper in detail. Now, while John doesn't refer to this specific event as the Last Supper, this is probably the same meal, scholars believe. With this event, John foreshadows the coming crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus humbly washes the feet of his disciples, and then he humbly dies on the cross for them. John writes in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus demonstrates love to those he calls his own. This is a love to the end, John says, both a full measure of love and a love until literally the end of Jesus' life on earth. The Greek word here for agape, or the Greek word for love is a derivative of the word agape. Now, this word expresses a personal will, a personal affection, rather than emotions or feelings. This is a must-do love from Jesus. This is a non-negotiable love from Jesus. This humble love is lived out in his actions. And what's crazy about this whole thing is Judas is right there with him. John writes, the devil had already prompted Judas. The word prompted means to throw or hurl, let down, fall down, sweep down. So Satan had captured the heart of Judas, and Jesus knows it. It is a conspiracy of evil between Satan and Judas. Jesus says in John 6, 70, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? Now here's where it gets a little tricky in my mind. So Judas was chosen by Jesus, but all along, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus had all things under his control, had all things at his hand. So did Jesus choose Judas for the purpose of his betraying him? It's a logical question. Probably not, but scripture had to be fulfilled in his betrayal. Also, just because Satan influences Judas, don't give Judas a pass here, friends. Judas is a willing and responsible deceiver. Judas is one who is chosen by Jesus, but he also is one who chooses to betray Jesus. Yet, yet, Jesus washes his feet. And while I can't fathom what Jesus experienced in his betrayal by Judas, I have caught glimpses of this in my personal ministry life. I've been at this ministry leadership thing for a long time. And unfortunately, several times, particular men that I chose, that I mentored, that I discipled, abandoned me, betrayed me, discarded me. And that's hard. That was very hard, and it is hard. But you know what? I have had to, in humility, trust in the sovereignty of God, both in my life and in the life of them. Now to this humble act of service by Jesus. This is an absolute jaw-dropper for the disciples. They would have cleaned themselves up for the meal, but they would have expected a servant to wash their feet upon arrival. The roads of Palestine are dirty. They're dusty. No servant is present, and dinner has started. 
The disciples are reclined at the table. Their heads are facing the table. They're likely leaning on their left elbows with their right hands eating, and their feet are stretched out behind them. So Jesus does the unthinkable now. He does not bask in the glory of his authority. He does not bask in his superiority. He is superior, but he clothes himself like a servant. And in what I suspect was an incredibly awkward moment, he starts scrubbing the feet of his disciples. Let me tell you, feet were not touched by Jews. This was a menial task. This was the lowest of tasks. This was a task that Gentile slaves performed. D.A. Carson writes, Here, Jesus reverses normal roles. His act of humility is as necessary as it is stunning and is simultaneously a display of love. It is a symbol of saving, cleansing, and a model for Christian conduct. In the Greco-Roman world full of pride, Jesus is humble. So how can we apply the actions of Jesus in our prideful culture? Well, I think it all starts with your heart. It all starts with your heart. Possess an attitude of humility. As C.S. Lewis states, humility is thinking of yourself less. At the office, don't take all the credit for the successes of your team. Deflect the praise to others. At home, elevate the successes of your brother and sister, even if it is diminishing to you. Put the interest of your spouse above your own. At church, place your focus on Jesus rather than your own position or your standing in the body. Do a self-inspection. Who is first in your life? 1 Peter 5.5 says, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Possess an attitude of humility. Let's continue with our text here. Jesus turns his attention to Peter. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later, later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, or you won't belong to me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew, Jesus knew, who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of them was clean. We see Jesus desires purity and Jesus desires inheritance for his disciples. John records this encounter with Peter. We may find it awkward. Some might even say it's funny. <laughs> it's humorous. Initially, Peter refuses this offer that Jesus makes to wash his feet. In part, might have been because of his ignorance of the significance of this particular event. Could be also because of his humility. Peter knows that he should be washing the feet of his master. He should be washing the feet of Jesus. But I believe that Peter does not initially allow Jesus to wash his feet because of his pride. Because of his pride. Peter represents the self-righteous, confident person who wants things on his own terms. Peter represents the person who believes he doesn't even need Jesus. New Testament scholar Rodney 
Whitaker claims, in Peter's response, we see the pride and the self-will that is at the heart of sin. And that is the very thing for which the cross will atone and bring healing. Peter is working from a worldly point of view. Then once Peter sees that Jesus performing this act of love is the only way for him to have eternal fellowship, he says, count me in, I am all in. <laughs> Peter didn't understand that it was a spiritual cleansing that he was receiving from Jesus. The word for clean here implies a ritual or moral cleansing, kind of a moral purity. It means much, much more than simply shiny feet. Peter says, clean me head to toe. <laughs> Oddly enough, Jesus says, you don't need it, Peter. According to Jesus, Peter had already been bathed. The word bathed here means that a completed action had already been done. Jesus means Peter's sins had been cleansed free. He was already saved. He believed. He was redeemed. The word for, for wash implies that repeated cleansing was required for ongoing forgiveness. Peter was redeemed. All Peter needed was simply to take care of those individual sins. Peter needed to remain pure. This washing also foreshadows the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, which will happen just a, just a couple hours from now. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When Jesus says, you will have no part with me, he's referring to inheritance. He says, you will not be a part of my family unless you allow me to wash you clean. Peter has a choice. He has a choice, just like we have a choice. The Apostle Paul describes it as being God's children. Paul writes in Romans 8, 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Then Jesus reiterates that one of them, one of them was not clean. Although Judas had the same opportunity to be washed, he rejected. Sure, he wa Jesus washed his feet in this moment, just like the rest of the disciples. Jesus was there in presence, but he was gone in spirit. Jesus demonstrates love to Judas, but the symbolic act that Jesus performed was tossed to the side by his betrayer. Friends, do you ever feel stained? Do you ever feel impure? Do you feel like you don't belong? Sin separates you and me from God. I don't even recognize half the time I sin, much less am I diligent confessing my sins to God. I personally need to make regular daily confession to God, a part of my life for personal purity. Our application point, <laughs> seek purity in your life. You will know you belong to Jesus if your life demonstrates it. If you possess the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Keep yourself clean by confessing your sins to God every day. If you have been bathed, all you need is a little scrubbing of those feet. Don't allow Satan to gain control in your life as he did in the life of Judas. Seek purity. Seek purity in your life. Now we see Jesus starts teaching again. Let's go to verse 12. When he, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
or reclined at the table again. You understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher. You call me a Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here we see Jesus calls his disciples to follow his example of humble service. Friends, I believe this is the climax of the passage. This is what John wants his readers to take away. Jesus says, follow my example. You can do this. You can do it. Don't just listen to my teaching. Nod your head and walk away. Go about your business. Jesus says, do it yourself. This call could not have been any clearer for the disciples. It could not, have been, could not be any clearer for you and me. In verses 13 to 14, Jesus professes he is their teacher. He is their Lord. He is their master. He deserves their respect. He has dignity. He is the exalted one. He is the I am, referencing Exodus 3.14. Yet his status does not, it does not preclude him from service. Jesus is a different kind of king. He is a different kind of leader. He is a different kind of teacher. He knows his disciples are prideful. It's not just Peter that's prideful. Later, John and James request to elevate themselves in God's kingdom. And Jesus tells them, tells John and James in Mark 10, 43 through 45, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is not an easy task, according to Jesus. It will be costly. You may be humiliated in your humility. Jesus claims there is no reason for you to be puffed up about your accomplishments, about your calling, about your spirituality, about your status. You need to be ready to sacrifice yourself for your fellow believer. And Jesus provides the greatest example of all when he died on the cross for you. John Piper describes following the humble service of Jesus as going low. Going low. I love that from Piper. He says, Christians of high standing should give themselves gladly to lowly serving. In all his ministry, Jesus has been showing peculiar Revealing, saving, forgiving, patient, confirming, and guiding love to his own. And if it wasn't sinking in, Jesus emphasizes his point in his comparisons between servants and masters, messengers and senders. The masters are clearly greater in society. The senders are clearly greater in society. But this does not mean that they are exempt from humble service. In fact, due to their standing, they should <laughs> serve humbly they should be an example to those that are lower than them in position then in verse 17 jesus links knowing and doing the knowing is useless unless there is doing that goes with it a blessing or literally 
Happiness will come to those who do, those who act according to their knowledge, what they've learned. Gerald Borchard claims in the teaching of Jesus, there's no division, no division between head, understanding, and life practice. And James takes it even one step further in James 4.17. He claims, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It is sin for them. Jesus calls us to follow his example. We went to Sanibel Island a few weeks ago, and this was a pop- popular destination spot for my family and I in spring break when our kids were younger. Spring break, of course, always in March, always right before baseball season for my boys. And I remember on the beach teaching them how to pitch, and they would follow my example. I would deliberately set my feet. I would turn my body. I would raise my knee. I would kick my leg out, and I would follow all the way through. And they would replicate that. They became a lot better pitchers (laughs) than I ever was. So in the same way, Jesus is calling you and me to follow his example, to serve for him, to pitch for him. There's a pretty good chance, though, that we're not going to be better at it than he is, right? So what is Jesus' desire for us? Jesus wants us to serve the needs of others. This may look different for each of us. Don't just love the people that love you. Don't just love the people that make you feel good about yourself. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 7, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. What can you do to pattern this foot washing of Jesus? For example, you could serve at the potter's wheel, or you could connect to our friends in the 11th Avenue Park. Pay it forward with a friend. Be a shoulder to cry on. Contribute your time generously, and don't expect to have a plaque on the wall, right? Serve the needs of others. Now we close out our passage. Let's move to verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you, Jesus says. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread or eats my food has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts me accepts the one who sends me. We see Jesus sends his disciples on mission for him. Once again, Jesus references his betrayer, but Jesus wants his disciples to know that he is sovereign. He has known from the beginning what would happen. This betrayal of Judas does not diminish who Jesus is. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Christ. The disciples are to accept Jesus as Jesus has been accepted by the Father. The disciples are agents of Jesus as Jesus is an agent of the Father. The disciples are to be sent by Jesus as Jesus was sent from the Father. The coming of Jesus was a fulfillment of Scripture. Matthew 1, and 23 says, All This took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. In the same way, the betrayal of Jesus was a fulfillment 
of Scripture in the exact same way. John wants his readers to know the death of Jesus was no accident and the sacrifice of the Lamb of God was God's means for dealing with sin in the world. In verse 18, John references Psalm 41.9. In this psalm, King David writes about how he was betrayed by his close friend and table companion, Ahatopel. Sharing bread or eating together was a mark of close fellowship. It was a symbol of acceptance in Jewish culture. The breaking of this bond was a traumatic event for King David. David writes in verse 9, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, who shared my bread, has turned against me. Scripture is fulfilled. Jesus breaks this same trust of, G- of Judas. Judas breaks this same trust of Jesus in his betrayal as well. Ahatopel, we see, hangs himself, as does Judas, right before the crucifixion of Jesus. That phrase, turned against me, the NIV is literally translated, lifted his heel against me. Displaying the bottom of one's foot was regarded as a breach of honor. And it was a breach of honor, especially after a meal. The phrase could have derived also from a horse or a mule preparing to kick and as we know, one is never supposed to walk up behind a horse because you could get knocked to the ground, couldn't you? Finally, Jesus provides a commissioning of his disciples in verse 20. He is preparing them for his departure, for his ascension to heaven after his crucifixion. Their lack of understanding is evident because they are scattered at his death. But isn't it great to see how they come together, they gather together upon his resurrection. Jesus reveals himself to them for 40 days prior to his ascension. The disciples adhere to his words from John 20, 21. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Eight years ago, my wife, Julie, and I were sent. We were sent to assemble a team to develop and establish the Westside Ministry Center. We were simply being obedient to God's calling at the time with no real expectation of what would come. So if you would have told me back then that today we would have a West Campus and I would be preaching at it, I would say you probably were absolutely crazy. So sometimes simply taking a step of obedience, taking a step out of our comfort zone puts us on mission with Jesus. Did you know you are a sent one? Be on mission with Jesus. I want to encourage you, please don't fail like Judas. He missed out. Bad deal for Judas. After Jesus ascended to heaven, the rest of the disciples went on mission to form the early church. They went on mission to spread the gospel about Jesus all over the world. And that mission has carried on to you and me today. When you're in a conversation with a non-believer, and you feel that Holy Spirit nudging you. Tell your story. It's a great story, isn't it? Tell your story about Jesus. Jesus claims in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Go on a light-bearing mission for Jesus. Go on a mission in your neighborhood, in your school, at work. Could God be tugging you to step out of your comfort zone? Be on mission with Jesus. 
Jesus came from heaven to earth in act of humility. He washed the feet of his disciples in act of humility. He died on the cross for your sins and mine in act of humility. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus led a humble life of service, and he's teaching you and I how to do it. Jesus calls you to possess an attitude of humility. Seek purity in your life. Serve the needs of others and be on mission with Jesus. Specific individual stands out in my mind as I think about servant leadership, as I think about humility. I'm going to embarrass our lead pastor, Phil Heller. Now, if I, if I might... So I remember Phil's interview weekend with us. It's been well over a year ago now. The elders and I met with Phil in my house. And when Phil came to Crossroads, he did not have a savior mentality for our church. It was not about Phil. It was about Jesus. And I remember that very first sermon that he preached. Phil went directly to the text. He didn't mess around. He went right to the task at hand. He did not feel the need to tout his accomplishments in ministry. And since that interview weekend, since that first sermon, Phil has led and served in our church with humility. Phil loves people. Phil's focus is on people, on our staff, on our congregation, on the community, and on the lost. And I love absolutely every interaction that I have with Phil. Why? Because Phil lives and loves and serves like Jesus. And I can't really think now of a better way to close our sermon than to read the, word, read the words from Paul. Now, we've read this passage several times in the last few weeks, but I want to read it again because this is so, so powerful. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Now, most scholars believe that this passage was a hymn a Christian hymn that the early church sung in worship of God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Stand up. Everybody stand to your feet, whether you're here live on our West Campus or whether you're worshiping on our live stream at home. Now, you can rest easy. I'm not going to ask you to sing. <laughs> but I would, I would like for us to read this passage together out loud and in full voice. Can we do that? Let's do that. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the very name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen, amen, amen. Stand in awe of Jesus, our servant king. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus, our servant king. He came in humility. 
not to be served as a king, but to serve as a king. And he's calling us to have that same humility in our lives. He's calling us to serve the needs of others, to go on mission with him, to seek purity in our lives. May we do that, Lord. May we do that to your glory. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.